BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. Good to see you again on the Bill Press Pod. Welcome back. Well, the Iowa caucuses are now over, thank God. Of course, that means we'll have lots to talk about on this Friday's roundtable. But meanwhile, it's the same old slog here in the House of Representatives with extremist members of the Freedom Caucus running the show and demanding to shut down the government unless Congress cuts off all aid to Ukraine and sends troops to the border. Meanwhile, they've put all their energies into pursuing Hunter Biden impeaching Joe Biden, and impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Fortunately for us, however, there's a great team of House Democrats on the Oversight and Judiciary Committees standing in their way and making them look like a bunch of fools. And nobody's better at it. Nobody's been more outspoken, more in their face, and more effective than Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, who did such a an outstanding job a couple of years ago as manager of the second impeachment of Donald Trump. We're proud of the fact that Congressman Jamie Raskin was our very first guest on the Bill Press Pod back in June 3rd, 2019. And we're proud today to welcome him back. Congressman Jamie Raskin, so good to talk to you and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Bill, it's my great pleasure to be with you. I've been looking forward to it, man. Thank you so much. Well, you know, uh, there were some pretty wild scenes in uh, Washington last week. You were right in the middle of, of most of them, Congressman. I gotta, I gotta start off by asking you about one. So you're on the House Oversight Committee to consider whether or not to hold Hunter Biden in contempt for not uh, re- responding to a subpoena from the committee, and in walks Hunter Biden himself with his attorney. Uh, what? I mean, what was that like? Did you know he was coming? And describe that scene for us when he walked in. Well, no, I did not know he was coming. Uh, I, I had an inkling it could happen because he'd done it once before uh, on that yeah. December 13th date uh, when they uh, subpoenaed him to come in. And he came in on the terms of the original request that um, Chairman Comer had issued uh, on various TV stations saying you can come in for either a committee hearing or a deposition. And he chose to come in for a committee hearing. And then Comer pulled a bait and switch on him and said, no, it's got to be a deposition. And that's what their big fight is about. And, you know, they're they're trying to accuse us, amazingly, of double standards because we had uh, pressed contempt charges against people like Steve Bannon and... Um, you know, Dan Scavino, people like that. Well, those people blew us off entirely. I mean, they just said, we're not going to participate. Hunter Biden has been saying to Chairman Comer, I want to participate. I will answer all your questions. I will be there. In fact, I was there when you told me to be, but I'm just not going to do it in secret. And 
you know, their rationale for that, of course, is that, you know, Comer has been picking and choosing and, you know, cutting and pasting and then uh, misrepresenting and distorting what's been going on in these closed room depositions. And they've only released two out of 17 of the transcribed interviews. Right. So they, they could have had, he was there, the committee was there. They could have had that hearing right then and there last week, right? He said, I'm ready to do it or I'll come tomorrow or whenever you want. But, you know, one of the Republicans told me afterwards that I've got it all wrong because I just kept expressing my bafflement that they didn't, you know, they didn't want to just go ahead and ask these questions they said they were dying to ask. And I was told very much uh, off the record that, look, you know, they don't have the votes to impeach Joe Biden. There are, you know, around 15 Republicans in Biden districts. Those mm-hmm. people don't want to invoke, vote to impeach Biden, but they know that they've made Hunter Biden, uh, you know, an absolute pariah in the country. And so they want to just keep going after him. So they want to keep Hunter Biden in the news, but they've got nothing to say about Joe Biden because Joe Biden is obviously clean and you know, they spent a year looking for something on him and they couldn't find anything. I, I got to tell you, I had to laugh when uh, Congresswoman Nancy Mace said to Hunter Biden, you have no balls to show up here. Uh, I thought he showed a lot of balls to show up <laughs> in that committee here. Yeah, you know, he, I think he, he's, you know, he and his lawyer are obviously acting in, um, a very forward and brazen way. They're acting unafraid of the Republicans. I think Hunter Biden, I don't know him, I've never met him, but apparently he feels that he has now come clean on and that everything that he did wrong uh, is the subject of a special um, a special counsel investigation. And, uh, you know, they're bringing tax charges against him and they're bringing gun charges against him. Uh, he and his lawyer think it's all overblown and trumped up. But in any event, they figure they're throwing at him already whatever they've got. And now they're just vilifying him and demonizing him in order to get at his dad. And I think he's uh, he's angry about it. And they're, they're fighting back. They're not taking any more nonsense from uh, perjury trader queen and. Lauren Groper and uh, Matt hates and the gang, you know. Well, it's pretty clear, uh, and it's very impressive that uh, the Democrats, led by yourself on the committee, are not taking uh, any nonsense either, uh, especially on this argument that if somebody doesn't answer a subpoena from the committee, uh, they've got to be um, indicted, convicted, whatever, by the Justice Department. You had been making that point that there's a certain hypocrisy here. So has your colleague. Jaron Moskowitz from Florida. Here was uh, his take, the Congressman, at that hearing. Listen, I'll, I'll make this bipartisan. I'll vote for the Hunter contempt today. You can get my vote. You can get my vote. But I want you to show the American people that you're serious. Here is the subpoena to Representative Scott Perry, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mark Meadows, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Jim Jordan, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mo Brooks who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mr. Biggs, who did not comply. And here's the subpoena to Mr. McCarthy, who did not comply. There's an amendment coming to add some of those names into the contempt order. You vote to add those names, and I'll vote for the Hunter Biden contempt. 
Yeah, what's the response to that, Congressman? Well, uh, it was very well put by Congressman Moskowitz, and those guys uh, did not vote for that amendment. The Republicans rejected the amendment, and uh, you know they started uh, recycling their utterly fraudulent arguments that the January 6th committee, which issued those subpoenas, was invalidly composed. That was rejected by every federal court to look at it, and nobody... Nobody in that crowd succeeded in challenging the validity of their subpoena, which has never happened. So um, those were all valid subpoenas. Of course, we didn't have time to go after them all. It takes forever. I mean, it took us seven years to get the Mazar's information so we could finally begin to scratch the surface and document the millions and millions of dollars that Donald Trump was pocketing from foreign governments, but it's not like you go to court and you you come back the next day uh, with your victory. You know, as yeah. you can see from all this Trump litigation all over the country, it takes a long time. I have to ask you, just watching this group, watching Jim Jordan at Justice, at Judiciary rather, watching uh, James Comer at at Oversight, Congressman, the the contrast between the way that they can't seem to know how to run a hearing, and the hearings of the January 6th committee are night and day. <laughs> Have you ever taken James Comer's side and just said, let me give you a couple of lessons on how to do this, right? Well, I mean, you're, I mean, you're kind to say it, but it, it makes it sound as if it's a question of technique and skill, and it's really about the substance of what you're doing. I mean, the January 6th committee was a bipartisan committee that was literally interested in getting the truth of what happened. And they have never succeeded in refuting a single fact Hmm. that we found and published in our final report. Not one. And you remember when they were whining about release all the thousands of hours of security uh, camera tape. Well, they released all of it. And then you never heard from them again. Why? Because none of it undercut in any way the findings of the January 6th committee. Meantime, uh, they're filled with all of these false promises. Like tomorrow, we're going to have our star witness who's going to blow open the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden connection. And then it turns out the guy is uh, like a Chinese informant um, who has (laughs) multiple federal charges outstanding against him. And everything is just completely deceptive and fraudulent. Like, why don't, why isn't the truth enough for them? But no, Donald Trump demands that uh, they've got to make Joe Biden look as bad as Donald Trump looks. And so they're going to keep trying to concoct something. So their hearings are ridiculous. We have succeeded in humiliating them and embarrassing them time and time again. But that's because we're willing to follow the facts and they need to try to promote disinformation. Do you believe they will have the votes on the floor whenever it gets to the floor to hold Hunter in contempt? Probably. They've probably lined up enough people for that. I mean, and and I think that's the situation really of those, you know, 15 or so Republicans in Biden districts. They do not want to mess with Joe Biden. They're in districts where the majority has made itself clear that they're not voting for Donald Trump and Biden has been a great president and they're going to stick with him. So they don't want to do that. But they figure, hey, you know, Hunter Biden admitted he had a drug addiction. He made a lot of foolish and criminal, potentially allegedly criminal decisions about his taxes and stuff. And so it's easy enough for them to go after 
uh, Hunter Biden. But I tell you, Hunter Biden and his attorney are giving them a run for their money because, you know, I, I right before we went in, we did a Westlaw search. We couldn't find any cases in the country like this where somebody was held in contempt when they had rendered good faith uh, compliance mm. with an original request from a, a legislative committee. And then the legislative committee changed its mind and said, no, um, we don't want to give you the opportunity to appear in public. It's got to be behind closed doors. So I don't know how that would go. I certainly doubt that a jury in the District of Columbia would convict Hunter Biden for that. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. some of the people voting on his contempt, um, like uh, Jim Jordan or Scott Perry or, you know, there's several others, themselves are in violation of congressional subpoenas. So, you know, that that may have emboldened them to come in and say, stick with your original offer, Mr. Comer. Now, the other wild scene, Congressman, of the week was the uh, same day, actually, where the former president came into town and showed up at the uh, D.C. appeals court, uh, standing along, uh, sitting there alongside of his attorney when his attorney made the stunning argument that as president of the United States, Donald Trump could do anything basically he wanted without suffering any consequences at all under the law. It, I, look, I'm not an attorney. Are there any grounds whatsoever in the law or the Constitution that would give president absolute immunity? No, it's absurd. Uh, His argument was slightly more subtle than that. What he was saying was the president could indeed order assassinations of his political rivals or, for that matter, members of Congress, justices, judges, but could only face criminal prosecution if he were impeached or convicted first. And uh, as a member of Congress, I immediately saw uh, the fallacy or the danger of that, because what he's saying is go ahead and kill your opponent in the presidential race or your opponents in your party and the other party. And then if you're in danger of being impeached or convicted, just go ahead and um, assassinate those members of Congress uh, yeah. who, might, who, might, who might try to convict you, because then at that point you won't be convicted and then you can't be prosecuted. I mean, this is the Republican Party in the 21st century. And they've, they've come to this point where their whole political program and jurisprudence and ideology revolve around political violence. Unbelievable. But in fact, Congressman, and you, of course, were uh, the leader, uh, impeachment, leading impeachment manager of the second impeachment. During that second impeachment of Donald Trump, as I recall, they made in the Senate trial, right, they made just the, his lawyers made just the opposite argument, right? It wasn't just his lawyers. I mean, it was Senator McConnell, for example. I mean, when yeah. McConnell, remember, McConnell voted not to convict Trump, he said, not because he wasn't guilty. He said that factually, actually, morally, he was responsible for everything that happened. But the Senate did not have jurisdiction over a former president. This is, you'll recall, I talked about a January exception. If you yeah. commit yes. your crimes, whether it's violent insurrection or murder in January, you can get away with it because you'll be out of office. So everybody gets, you know, a month or two to try to overthrow the Constitution. And if you succeed, you're dictator. If you fail, well, you get to invoke the January exception because you can't be impeached or convicted. And now, according to Donald Trump, you can't be prosecuted. 
But uh, McConnell didn't go that far. He was saying, well, it's too late for us to convict him. But he said it's not over because he can always be criminally prosecuted. There can be criminal prosecution. There can be civil prosecution. But just Trump just took it one step further. He said, no, if you don't impeach and convict me, you can't prosecute me either. You know, it's like justice is this game of hide and go seek. Of course, it turns the language of the Constitution upside down because it's always taken for granted that you're responsible for your own criminal offenses. But it says it takes pains to say if you're impeached or convicted, that extends only to removal from office and disqualification in the future. But you can still be arrested and tried and prosecuted and punished for your other crimes after you leave office. So they bent over backwards to say, you know, even if you beat, you know, (laughs) whether you're impeached or convicted or you beat it or you're not impeached or convicted, you can go ahead and be prosecuted. And Trump uh, and his lawyers now argue that that means you basically have a get out of jail card for life. You can murder, you can rape, you can participate in insurrection. I mean, it's just astounding that, you know, more than two centuries into our constitutional experiment, uh, somebody is sinister enough to come up with this argument. Well, also, Congressman, it raises the fear that this idea that one man is above the law, despite everything uh, in our history that says the opposite, everything we've always believed, that if this is appealed to this Supreme Court, that this Supreme Court might agree. I like the Republican judge on the D.C. Circuit uh, and the three-judge panel, Judge Henderson, who said, it seems like your argument that the president is above the law and can commit crimes with impunity is completely opposite to his central constitutional assignment under Article One, with, under Article 2, which is that he must take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Puts his hand on the Bible, right? And swears to uphold the Constitution. That's absolutely right. And that, that's his office. And uh, he is an officer, despite what they're saying now. (laughs) So, you know, it's amazing the way that the language of the Constitution is being completely distorted and uprooted. I think that this argument that the president has the power to freely assassinate, murder, take bribes and so on, and can escape all criminal consequences if he can uh, prevent uh, impeachment and conviction, perhaps just by you know, committing his crimes in the last few weeks, as Donald Trump did. But I think that the argument is so extreme, so sinister, that it might even shock the Supreme Court mm. into deciding the right way on the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment case out of Colorado. Wow. Because, you know, huh. I, I mm. think the language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is perfectly clear if you've engaged in insurrection or rebellion after you swore an oath to uphold the Constitution as an officer, like a president of the United States, you can never hold office again. I mean, it's just very clear. The original meaning of it is completely clear. When the radical Republicans first brought it up on the House side, they said that you're disenfranchised for life if you join a rebellion or an insurrection like uh, the Confederacy. But when it got over to the Senate, they said, no, disenfranchising for people, people for life is too extreme and having it apply to everybody sweeps too broadly. Let's just zero in on the most culpable offenders, people who actually held office before, who violated their oath. And even in that case, we'll allow people like Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee or 
Donald Trump to vote. We just won't ever allow them to hold office again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see how narrow and limited it is. But guess who's in the bullseye core of that constitutional prohibition? Right. Donald Trump. And by the way, if the office of president is not a federal office, right, what is? Right. So so the point I was thinking about was, you know, I assumed that Trump's appointees would do everything in their power to figure out a you know an exit ramp so that he wouldn't have to uh, be disqualified. But now, with him talking about political violence and the presidential right to assassinate, I think that they may be afraid. Indeed, they might start to see things the way that most of the country sees them and the Constitution sees them, which is he can't be trusted in the presidency. How would you like to be the justice who says, oh, I know this is a political question. Congress has got to decide it. Or a president is not really an officer, despite all of the overwhelming evidence on the other side. And then Trump somehow, you know, God forbid a million times, but somehow gets back in. And then there's political bloodshed because he unleashes violence against his political opponents. Um, I would hope that all of them, even Clarence Thomas and even Brett Kavanaugh, would consider that this would drape their own careers in absolute shame, in addition to perhaps spelling the end of the republic. Yeah, indeed. Oh, my. It's wild times that we are living in, indeed. And we just basically scratched the surface uh, with today's guest, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Congressman, take a quick break here and then come back. And a couple of other things I want to dive into you with you. If you can hold on just a minute, then we'll be right back and pick up. Today's podcast with Congress Jamie Raskin brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. That's the Teamsters Union, the largest and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions. Great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Sean O'Brien, representing every facet of the American labor movement, from vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers in Maine. As they say, they cover and represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, all in service of us, the American people, for which we thank the members of the Teamsters Union, thank them also for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, 
The learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with today's podcast. Honored to have as our guest, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who of course represents Maryland's 8th Congressional District. He is the ranking Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, and we remember with great fondness and pride his job as the lead impeachment manager in the second impeachment of Donald Trump. So, Congressman, just a week or so ago, we marked the third anniversary of January 6th. And you and your committee had so conclusively proven what happened on that day and who was the events leading up to January 6th, what happened on January 6th, what happened after January 6th, and who was responsible, you taking the lead, uh, Liz Cheney taking a leading case. What was your reaction this January 6th when you heard so many Republicans basically saying, what riot? What? I mean, they've done everything they can to say that what happened on January 6th was nothing serious at all, and we just ought to forget about it and move on. I mean, this is a hallmark of authoritarian and fascist political parties and movements. Um, They're organized around a charismatic or allegedly charismatic uh, figure and surround that person with a cult of personality, and that person's word and their will is elevated above the Constitution and the rule of law. They refuse to accept the results of democratic elections that don't go their way. And they embrace political violence as an instrument for obtaining power or refuse to denounce political violence as an instrument for obtaining and maintaining power. And then they rewrite history to make themselves the victim and to cover up their political violence and their political crimes. And, you know, I this is why at the trial I was insisting that the lawyers commit themselves to the position, one, that there was criminal prosecution that would lie uh, afterwards if the president were not mm-hmm. to be convicted, but also commit to the uh, idea that they would not praise or celebrate in any way what had taken place. And they repeatedly denounced it there. Of course, it was you know, a matter of moments before Donald Trump uh, tried to rehabilitate the violent uh, insurrectionists and uh, tell them that they were heroes and great patriots and never forget this day and so on. And it's only gotten worse over time. Now he's running around the country saying he will grant a pardon to all of the people convicted of violently assaulting our officers or uh seditious conspiracy, which means conspiracy to overthrow or put down the government. And he means it. I mean, look who he's pardoned already. Steve Bannon, he pardoned. Uh, Roger Stone, he pardoned. Michael Flynn, he pardoned. Paul Manafort, he pardoned. Dinesh D'Souza, he pardoned. He pardoned an entire criminal political class to surround him uh, and to act as his uh, inner circle for the 2024 campaign. And now he wants to pardon the violent insurrectionists essentially to um, unleash, uh, you know, a a street fighting uh, authoritarian force under his thumb. Well, and he's gone even beyond that by now calling them hostages, right? Which are trying to compare them to the hostages that were seized and beaten and raped by Hamas on October 7th. 
And we could expect that from, uh, you know, a deranged uh, would-be dictator like Donald Trump. But Elise Stefanik very quickly followed in line, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's supposed to be uh, the, the big champion uh, for, I suppose, tolerance uh, and uh, democracy. You know, I gag on the words. I mean, here's Elise Stefanik likening people who pled guilty to violently assaulting police officers or trying to overthrow the government or destroying federal property to hostages, like the hostages uh, taken by Hamas. A hostage is someone who has been kidnapped or abducted and held for financial and political ransom. The hundreds of people who are in jail today for their crimes on January 6th are not hostages. Hostages. They are prisoners who've had every benefit of due process uh, under our system. And as the Democrats on the Oversight Committee showed, um, they have the best possible uh, jail conditions in the District of Columbia, not the worst. And, and those conditions are much best, much better than are found around the country. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but some hundreds of people have been tried and convicted. Some of them, as you pointed out, have pled guilty. Those who participated in the events on October 6th. So many people are already paying the price of what their of their actions on October on January 6th. Do you believe that Donald Trump will ever pay the price for his actions? What do you rate the chances of uh, his being found guilty? in the Department of Justice case, Jack Smith's case uh, on January 6th and the insurrection? Well, he's got four outstanding federal and state indictments with 91 different criminal charges. I, I have not heard of anything remotely constituting an alibi or a defense for him knowingly pilfering government documents mishandling them and then repeatedly refusing to return them or returning some of them, but then withholding the others, which only demonstrates his culpability and his consciousness of guilt um, when uh, he refused to return the others. So that one just seems to me to be open and shut. I don't know what the timing of that trial is now. Uh I also think it is overwhelmingly likely that he will be convicted of the um, the charges of election interference being brought by Jack Smith in Washington D.C. Just because I know way way too much about right. everything <laughs> he did. I mean, he you know originally the Women for America First were calling for their rally. They got a permit for their rally on January twentieth. It was just going to be a counter inaugural kind of protest where they were saying we were going to be the opposition to Biden as he moves to his administration. It was Donald Trump who got to them and to all of uh, the various groups, including the domestic violent extremist groups through Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and the internet, um, to tell them, no, this thing is not over. Come on January 6th. He transformed that day of the peaceful transfer of power into a day of terror in which he tried to overthrow the election and seized the presidency and nearly got his own vice president hanged. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. And 150 of our officers were bloodied, wounded, hospitalized. My friend, Sergeant Gunnell, ended up having to leave the force because he was so physically uh, injured. Other uh, officers took their lives. They were so traumatized 
by the way they were treated. A number of them who had served in Iraq said they never saw anything like the violence that they were subjected to on January 6th when they were um, in Iraq or in Afghanistan, and all of it at the behest of Donald Trump. Like That's the reality of the situation when you cut through the propaganda and disinformation. And the courtroom is the place to do that, right? Yeah. And so I I think, look, um, here's the thing I've come to learn about justice and injustice. I mean, injustice happens in a flash, like what happened on uh, January 6th. And people are wounded, traumatized, uh, injured perhaps for life. Um, people lost their lives. Several people lost their lives um, on that day. And you know, that's the way injustice comes. But justice takes a long, long time. It takes years to actually deal with the rule of law and so on. But that's the price of living in a civilized society. I mean, it's only, you know, Donald Trump's heroes and friends like Vladimir Putin and Marcos and President Xi, who's, uh, who basically conflate justice and injustice. If they're, they think somebody has done them wrong or been in the opposition, then they take them out and, you know, they shoot them or poison them or do away with them. Um, but it's the civilized democratic societies that take time to give people due process. And of course, um, a con man like Donald Trump will use every right that he's been given by our, by our society, even as he's trampling everybody else's rights, sexually harassing and assaulting people, raping people, taking money from foreign governments and so on. But he's the biggest whiner uh, in the world as he's constantly pleading, uh, you know, that he's the victim. Yeah, that no, that is his game. Now, I want to circle back at one thing you mentioned uh, before, Congressman. It seems, uh, which is the impeachment or possible impeachment of President Joe Biden, although Republicans still don't know. They want to impeach him. They're still not sure what they want to impeach him for or if there's anything they can, impe they can impeach him for. Uh, it seems that this push to impeach Biden, which they've been talking about since he took office, is kind of running out of steam. Am I reading that correctly? Do you believe so? It's more the Judiciary Committee maybe than the Oversight Committee, but do they have any goods? Do they have a case? Are they? No, they have no case. I mean, you know, I've said it's not a who done it. It's a what is it? Nobody can even define <laughs> what the criminal offense is that they're looking for. Or the, I mean, I had an exchange yesterday with Mr. Gosar, I think, where oh God, <laughs> you know, he took us to task because we kept quoting the majority's own witnesses who said there was not remotely enough evidence to impeach. And he said, well, you asked them that a couple months ago, but they said there is enough for an impeachment inquiry. And I said, okay, what have you found in the last few months? And he said, well, a lot of stuff. And I said, well, what kind of stuff? And he said, well, a lot of stuff. And I said, can you share it with us? And uh, he couldn't. And, you know, it's all, you know, it's all word salad at that point with these guys. And you think it goes nowhere? Well, yeah, I, I think those Biden district Republicans are not going to want to mess with it. I mean, it's a humiliation to their party. Now, they're able to pull the wool over the eyes, their followers on Fox News, and, you know, they they distort things, they blow things up. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, who some people call perjury trader queen, but not me, uh, 
you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene actually believes there's something there, but there's no logical rigor or legal precision to anything she's saying. You know, she shows nude photos of Hunter Biden. She says, this violates the Mann Act. And we're like, well, we're not investigating violations of the Mann Act. Today, we're here to talk about whether or not he's complied with a subpoena. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw that particular I exchange, did. but, I, you know, I asked for the chair for a ruling that irrelevant extraneous pornographic images should not be displayed in our committee room. And she said, it's not pornography. And I had to concede, you're the expert. Uh, <laughs> Green, so I'll take your word for it. Of course, it really was. It was all these nude photos, although I guess she had blocked out the genitals. But. Uh, yeah, that was, a great, that was a great moment, Congressman. So finally, I just have to ask you your take on, all right, here we are, 2024, uh, Donald Trump running, it looks like he's going to be the nominee. Joe Biden running for re-election. I have to say, I think he's more than shown that he deserves another four years. But, you know, Congressman, every four years, you and I've been around politics a long time, we always say, oh, my, this election, this is the most important one of our lives. You know, I feel that way more than ever about 2024. How do you see it? What's at stake, do you believe, in front of the American people in the choice they have to make in 2024? How serious is it? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're raising it, um, Bill, because, I mean, it's unlike any other situation we've ever been in before. Because Donald Trump is basically running as an authoritarian, an autocrat. You know, somebody who embraces, uh, you know, racist tropes and misogyny and so on. He gets back in. He will say the country knew exactly what it wanted and. He said, I told them I'd be a dictator on day one. And if he likes it on day one, what's to stop him from doing it on day two? And so on. So we're talking about a completely different form of government, really. And we're talking about two contrasting philosophies of government. I mean, on the one hand, the Democrats are saying the government has got to be an instrument of the common good for everybody and serve the whole population. And Trump and his team are saying, the government is an instrument for the private self-enrichment of the guy who gets in uh, and the corrupt interests that surround him and the corrupt foreign governments that help to get him where he's going. So it's not really just about America and it's not really just about the next four years. It's about what the world is going to be like in the 21st century. And as you know, the overarching crisis of our time is climate change. And we know that the autocrats and the kleptocrats and the plutocrats um, are not going to do anything about it. And the theocrats are not going to do anything about it because they think that God is going to save us. And of course, the kleptocrats and the plutocrats and the autocrats think that they can just get into their castles or their gated communities and they'll save themselves. And who cares about the rest of the world? It's only the Democrats that are going to be serious about trying to address climate change and to save us from the accelerating cataclysms of uh, this century. So the stakes are just enormous. They're titanic. Yeah. Saving the planet uh, and saving our democracy, <laughs> both pre- both pretty big deals for 2024. Congressman Jamie Raskin, I can't tell you how happy I am you are, where you are, fighting for all of us uh, every day. You make us all proud. 
and I'm so grateful that you take the time to join us again on the Bill Press Pod. Keep up the good fight, Congressman. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you kindly, Bill. All best to you. And that's it for today's roundtable with Jamie Raskin. So good to have him back on the Bill Press Pod. And so good of all of you to join us as well. Uh, As I mentioned at the very top, Friday, going to be a lively roundtable. We'll talk about all the results and all the impact of what happened in Iowa at the caucuses. Look ahead to New Hampshire next week and follow progress or lack of progress in avoiding a government shutdown yet again in the House of Representatives. Friday's roundtable this Friday, June 19 and January 19. In the meantime, uh, have a great week, folks. We'll see you Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.